will you please at this point take your Bible and uh, meet me in Acts chapter 16. And as we turn to Acts 16, I want you to imagine something with me. I want you to imagine the experience of being the first Christian ever to enter a new region or even a new environment. Imagine being the very first Christian in your family, for example, your lineage, or, or, or the first to ever go to your school, or to ever step foot into your place of work. Imagine being the very first Jesus follower in Granite Bay or Sacramento or California or these United States, the first in North America or the entire Western Hemisphere. In each of these instances, of course, someone was the first. Someone was the first Christian in your family, in your school, in your place of work. Someone. A different someone was the first to enter this area we now call Granite Bay. Yet another someone was first to Sacramento, first to California, still another someone was first to these United States and another to North America and yet another to the Western Hemisphere. Can you imagine what it was like for those first Christians in each of these areas and others like them? I want you to try to put yourself in in, in those shoes this morning. And just think with yourself, how would life be different for you if you knew you were the first Christian and only Christian in this room? Or at your school, or work, or wherever. Last Sunday, we saw how the Spirit of God led the Apostle Paul and his Christian co-workers to the shores of the Aegean Sea with a clear call to take the message of Jesus to the Western world. The gospel would reach Europe for the first time. And they, as far as we know, as far as we can tell, they were the first Christians in that region. Within a matter of years, however, Europe, Europe would become the Christian center and for nearly two millennia, it would serve as the main staging ground by which the good news of Jesus Christ would extend into uh, nearly every nation and people group around the world. Certainly, no one alive at that time, no one imagined that what was taking place in their midst was divinely appointed to affect human history forever. I wonder 500 or 1,000 or 2,000 years from now, 
as we sit in this room, can we even possibly fathom what God might be doing in our hearts today that may affect people centuries from now? Of course, this wasn't Paul's doing. It was God's. He and his uh, ministry cohorts were sent by God. Now this, this particular sending, this was theirs. This was their particular sending. But scripture teaches that, that we are sent also. That, that Christians today are also called by God to share Christ with others. As we will learn from this morning's text, the Holy Spirit sends us into places of all sort because Jesus reaches people of all type. The Spirit of God sends us into places of all sort because Jesus reaches people of all type. I want to read this passage with you. We're going to cover some ground this morning. Because uh, I just think we've got to see the flow of what's happening here and look at it as one. So we're going to read here from Acts chapter 16, beginning at verse 11 through the end of the chapter. So, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia in a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who'd come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. As we were going uh, to the place of prayer, this is another day, another episode. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they're disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. 
About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Now when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were, were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul... Paul cried with a loud voice, don't harm yourself, we're all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and said, sirs, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds and he was baptized at once, he and, his, and all his family. And then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, hey, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they've beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens, and they've thrown us into prison, and do they now throw us out secretly? No, no. Let them come themselves and take us out. And the police reported these words to the magistrates and they, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them. And they took them out and asked them to leave the city. And so they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers and sisters in the Lord, they encouraged them and departed. Amen. Will you pray with me? God, we want to thank you again for our time in the scripture today. Obviously, we're, we're, we're considering events and people from, from another part of the world at another time in history in a totally different culture And yet I can't help but see ourselves in these verses. And so I just pray that by your spirit, you would grant us, help us to, to appreciate uh, these individuals and what you're doing in their lives and, um, and, the, and, and the change, the transformation you are making in that ancient city of Philippi. And then Lord, help us to glean from 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 this historical record. Help us to glean those lessons or life principles that would, that would apply to us today. We look to you. Uh, we look to Jesus. We ask, O oh Holy Spirit, that you would uh, do what only you can do and unstop our ears and open up our hearts even now. For it's in the name of the Lord the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.
Okay. Paul, Silas, Timothy, and now Luke also. They've arrived in the ancient city of Philippi. They've responded to Paul's vision of a man from Macedonia who was urging him to come and help. And they took this, just if you quickly look up at verse 10, which was the last verse of our last section. If you look up at that, they took this vision as a sign from God, a call from God, which to them meant sharing the good news of Jesus. And we won't spend any time on this other than to just say, I think that's a very important connection that that they took when, when, when Paul had this vision of a man saying, hey, come and help us. They took that as that means share Christ. That's the best way we can help. So, so, so it's come and help us. And they said, that means share Christ. We're going to go help them in the very best way possible. And so they crossed the, uh, they left Troas and they crossed the Aegean by way of the island of uh, Samothrace and the port city of Neapolis before finally landing in Philippi. So I'm going to show our map up here. Uh, I forgot my pointer, though. So, um, so they're over there, and this is where they began in Syria, in Antioch. Then you can kind of follow the red arrow through Tarsus and Derby and Lystra and Iconium. You're still following that area. area. They went to uh, Phry- Phrygia. And this is where the Spirit of God, they were going to go into Asia. And the Spirit of God said, no, not Asia. And so they, they turned north and they were heading up into Bithynia. And they were going to enter Bithynia. And again, the Spirit of God said, no, not Bithynia. And so they, of course, had a decision to make at this point. Do we turn around? I mean, it seems that maybe we've ventured into area where God doesn't want us to be. Shall we turn around or keep going? And they kept going by faith, uh, that, that upper part of Asia, down to Mycenae, and they came to Troas. And that's where they met Luke. Paul has his vision there in Troas. And then they take a ship to the island of Samothrace and then uh, a ship to uh, the port city of Neapolis in Macedonia. And then from Neapolis, they make their way to Philippi. They're, at this point, they're about a thousand miles away from where they began in Antioch. And when they left there, they, I'm sure they had no idea they were going to end up in Philippi. So, so that's the situation. Thank you, Tim. Philippi was uh, a hub of activity in the district of Macedonia, or what is now known as uh, Northern Greece. It was a leading city. It was, it was the foremost city, and it was a Roman colony. It was made a Roman colony in, in 42 BC, which meant uh, the citizens of Philippi received all the benefits of Rome as if they were in Rome. Though Rome itself was nearly 800 miles away, still to the west. And they wore this distinction, this fact that they are a Roman colony. They wore this distinction proudly. They embraced Roman culture and readily adopted Roman customs, which, which come into play later in this passage. At some point, though, we're, we're simply told that Paul and his fellow workers... Or at, or at this point, we're told that Paul and his fellow workers were simply... Uh, 
Uh, they remained in Philippi for some days, and then Luke records three instances that occurred during their stay in that city that center around three very different individuals from very different backgrounds. Now, the first, uh, the first encounter involves a woman named Lydia, whom they met at a woman's prayer meeting, a, a women's prayer meeting of all places. Uh, it was the Sabbath, and they found this group of women gathering to pray outside the city gates by the river's edge. And, and we're told a few key details about Lydia. She was from the city of Thyatira, a city of Asia, or, or, or what we would call Turkey, uh, known for its expensive dyes and textiles. So here in Northern California, just to kind of give you a uh, a somewhat of a comparison here in Northern California. The Silicon Valley is known for its startups and technology. Uh, Gilroy is known for garlic. Um, <laughs> back in the day, Sacramento was known for the gold rush. It was the hub of the gold rush. Uh, so the city of Thyatira was known for dyes and textiles. That's, that's what, that was its calling card. And Lydia appears to be a very successful businesswoman who traded in very expensive dyes and fabrics. <coughs> she was a seller of purple goods. Now, anything purple was expensive. Uh, if you've seen pictures from that era, right, most everything is monochromatic and muted. But purple was flashy. Purple stood out. Purple was extravagant. It's the color of royalty. Uh, it was typically associated with the upper crust, with people who lived in society's upper class, all of which suggests that Lydia had means. She had connections. She had influence. And we're told she was a religious woman. She was a worshiper of God, it says. Now, she wasn't a Christian, uh, but she did believe in God. She even prayed to God. <clears throat> She met with other women to pray. She's like the people in our lives who acknowledge that there is a God, right? You know these people. They acknowledge that there is a God. They even recognize that God is more powerful, that God is greater than they are, which is why they pray to him. Uh, and, and they generally live moral and upstanding lives. They're, they might be what we would call good people. They're just generally good people. They're moral people. They're ethical people. They're, they're good. You want these people for your neighbor. Like these are just good people. Lydia seems to be one of those. Paul is doing what Paul does, of course. He's just talking about Jesus. And Lydia is hanging on every word. Something is happening within her that compels her to listen with rapt attention. And we're told what it is in verse, uh, what is this, in verse 14. 
It was that the Lord had opened her heart. Many of you know exactly what this, this is like because the Lord has opened your heart. You, do you remember that, that time? Do you remember the time when the Lord opened your heart? Steve talked about it in the video. He was a good person. He was a religious person. He was doing good and religious things. But it was in that walk through the parking lot on the way to high school chapel that the Lord opened his heart. It happened to me when I was uh, 16 years old. I was sitting on the living room floor of our next-door neighbor's uh, home. They'd invited my parents and I, you, many of you have heard this story, to their weekly Bible study. I wasn't a Christian at the time, nor were my parents. I think this was the first Bible study I've ever attended. I ever attended, I think. Or at least it's the, the first I can remember. And I was the youngest one in the room by at least 10 years. And they were studying the, the Gospel of Mark I listened uh, to their discussion and tried to follow along with, with the Bible opened in my lap. When suddenly it seemed, it seemed as if I was the only one in the room. Just me and God. And for the first time, this book meant something to me. And I felt as if God was, was writing and speaking to me. Now, I grew up in a moral family. We believed in God. I think we even prayed to God sometimes. We went to church sometimes on Easter Sunday, for example. But not until that moment did I realize that I needed and I wanted to know God in a personal way. I think that's what happened to Lydia that day. Paul was faithful to speak of Jesus. Lydia was longing for more in life. She's looking to God as best she knows how, as best she knew how, she's just looking to God. And the Lord opened her heart to hear about Christ. And she placed her faith in Christ clearly and was baptized as a profession of faith. She shared the news with her household and evidently they came to faith also and they were baptized. So there's this, just this huge transformation taking place in this woman's life and in the lives of the members of her family. And so she urges Paul and the others to come and stay with them. She just wants to hear more. She wants to learn more. She wants to celebrate more. Her gifts of hospitality are already coming out. And she says to them basically what she says to them. She says, listen, you can see that my faith is real. You can see that I am sincere. You can see that something has happened in me. So come, come stay with us. And when it says she prevailed upon us, it basically means this woman was not going to take no for an answer. <laughs> Lydia may very well be 
the first Christian convert in the continent of Europe. And later from verse 40, we'll get there in a a moment, but later from verse 40, it seems the first church in Europe began meeting in her home. Certainly the first church in Philippi. Paul's divinely appointed vision of a Macedonian man crying for help led them to Philippi, and yet when they arrived, isn't this interesting? When they arrived, it's not a man they meet. It's a woman from Thyatira. And, you know, one of Luke's, uh, one of the characteristics of Luke's writings is he does give, um, uh, he, 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 you can tell he takes effort to stress uh, women and the prominence of women in the kingdom of God. And even the next encounter, again, is not with a man but with a demon-possessed girl. After meeting Lydia at that place of prayer, they're like, that's a great place. And so they're heading to that same place again. But they're they're interrupted by this uh, slave girl. We, We aren't told how old she is, but because she's called a girl and not a woman, Suggests she's probably in her young teens and maybe younger. She's in a terrible state. She's oppressed. She's being exploited. She's spiritual, uh, she is spiritually oppressed, basically demon-possessed, and this evil spirit is using her in a, in a clairvoyant way. She's somewhat of a fortune teller. She has no rights of her own. No ability to break free and find a better life for herself. She is a slave. Not only uh, a slave to this demonic spirit, but also to her owners. Just that word, owners, I hate that word. Just a slave. Who these people who just exploited her and her sad state for their own financial gain. And church, I just, I wish, I wish this stuff wasn't happening in our world anymore, but as you know, it is. This girl is like the thousands of kids trafficked every day who are used as sex slaves, child soldiers, and cheap labor. They are powerless among us, Uh, They are the people who others prey upon for their own selfish and wicked gain. These kids are not treated with any dignity whatsoever. Instead, they're just constantly objectified. They're used and they're abused. They're just something to to be used and discarded. And it breaks my heart. And I'm so thankful for the people around the world who advocate for these kids. And every time I hear these stories, I just long, well, I'm I'm struck with two things, just the incredible patience and mercy of the Lord 
and then I just long for the day of judgment. Unlike Lydia in the previous encounter, this girl has no status, no influence. For days she followed Paul, crying out, These men, these men right here, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation, but don't let her words fool you. You see, this wasn't in support of their ministry, not at all. Rather, the evil spirit in her is subtly trying to attach itself to their ministry, presumably to infiltrate and eventually destroy it from the inside out. You know, this has been one of Satan's schemes from the get-go. To present the bait and hide the hook. It's his Trojan horse. It's how he gets his foot in the door. But Paul is not unaware, and so he just displays great patience for a few days at least. He's being very patient until finally he had enough, and in the name of Jesus, he commands the the, the spirit to come out of her, which it did instantly. Now, Now, at this point, Luke follows the story of Paul and what happened to Paul as a result but, but, but let's also recognize what happened to the girl. I think that's important here. She was delivered from demonic possession. You can't help but wonder what became of her. In fact, it wouldn't surprise me one bit to learn that after such a remarkable deliverance by the person and power of Jesus, that she also came to trust in him as Lydia did previously. Those who profited from her oppression, however, all they cared about was money. So they seized Paul, they seized Silas, they took them by force to the police, who then pulled them into court to appear before the magistrates. They were accused of just, they just brought up some charges, right? They just trumped something up. They're accused of disturbing the peace and subverting Roman practice, which obviously, remember, these Philippians were proud of of their Romanhood. And so suddenly a little riot breaks out. Who, who? These people? These people right here? They're subverting Roman passes? We're on it. So a riot breaks out. The magistrates are tearing their clothes off Paul and Silas. They give orders to beat them, and after receiving many blows, the two men were thrown in prison. Their feet fastened in the stocks. The things had just taken, obviously, a completely unexpected turn. I mean, what began as a walk to the women's prayer meeting ended in maximum security detainment. And then the story moves to yet another face from Philippi, that of the prison jailer. But first we find Paul and Silas singing... uh, praying and singing to God. Now, it can be hard to sing when you're in pain. I don't know about you. That's hard. When your body is hurting, I I mean, even the smallest discomfort, I mean, isn't this your experience? Like the smallest discomfort, a little, a little tweak of the back, a stub toe, uh, the slightest headache, I mean, things like that, that can, can, those little things can, can completely throw us off kilter, 
right? Suddenly parts of our bodies we never even noticed or paid attention to now consume our full attention. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I had a, a 24-hour bout with the stomach flu. And uh, during that time, as uh, while my insides became my outsides, <laughs> I was not singing songs of praise. Uh, if anything, I was saying, take me home. <laughs> foremost on our minds in those moments is just relief right relief I think praising God in your pain to choose to focus on his goodness instead of your circumstance that is faith of the deepest kind. These men had been beaten with rods. Unjustly beaten, undeservedly beaten, unexpectedly beaten, beaten with many blows. They are swollen. They are blue, bruised and, and blotchy and bloodied. They are undoubtedly sore and achy all over. They can barely move, not just from the beating, but also because their feet are in the stocks. Would anyone blame them for a moment of self-pity? Would anyone blame them for a moment of self-pity? I mean, give them at least a day, right? We're going to give you a day to just feel sorry for yourself because we understand, we get it. And yet instead of, instead of a woe is me attitude, they're praying and they're singing. And I love that, that, that Luke includes this little detail and others were listening. Church. How you respond to your suffering can make a difference in how others respond to Jesus. You hear that? How you respond to your suffering can make a difference in how others respond to Jesus. Sometimes God brings suffering into our lives to refine our faith, uh, but also... And also to, to, to reach the people in our lives who are watching us, they're listening to us, and they're taking note. They're asking themselves, is his faith real? Is her faith legit? Yeah, it's easy to follow Jesus when everything's going your way. We can all do that, but when the rubber meets the road and calamity comes, how will we respond then? And so if you're, uh, if you're in it right now, if you're in the throes of a difficult time, have you tried praying and singing to God in a way that others can see that your trust in Him is stronger than ever. 
They're singing. Other prisoners are listening. And suddenly the whole place starts shaking, literally. God sends an earthquake of all things. And the doors bust wide open. And the stocks come undone. And the jailer awakens. And, and he assumes, right, as, as anyone would, he assumes everyone's taken off. They've all gone. They've all gone. There's been a prison break and he knows what this means. He knows he will be held accountable. It's his life for theirs. And so he draws his sword. He prepares to end himself when out from the dark and chaos, he hears a voice, stop, don't do it. We're all here. grabs a torch he rushes in and he finds inexplicably no one has left now what do you suppose he's thinking at this moment what conclusions would you draw at this point I mean if an earthquake hit Folsom prison and busted wide open all the doors and gates, what are the odds that not a single prisoner would try to escape? So he knows something's going on here. And it's not human. It's not natural. It's divine. Something divine is happening here. Something supernatural is going on right now. He, 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 he may not be able to explain what it is, but, but no longer. He, he cannot explain it away any longer. And so he falls at the feet of these men who he knew to be followers of Jesus. And he says, what must I do? to be saved. His entire life led him to this moment. That was the moment. We don't have it recorded, but that was the moment. That was the moment when the Lord opened his heart. And in that moment, he knew he didn't know God not in a personal way, not in a way that touches and assures the soul. In that moment, he knew he was lost and that, they'd, that he'd come perilously close to death and he didn't want to be in spiritual peril any longer. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. That's what they tell him. And then they went on to say this, that the same applies to his household as well. He's like, it's like, you believe in Jesus and you'll be saved. And if they believe in Jesus, they'll be saved too. Salvation comes to anyone who trusts in Jesus Christ. You see, you don't have to be apart from God any longer. Just receive Jesus as the Lord of your life and, and he will save you. He will save you happily. He will save you readily. He will save you lovingly. And he will save you for all eternity. Verse 32 tells how Paul and Silas shared the gospel with the jailer and his whole household. And this news was so good to them. It was just like, it's like refreshing rain falling upon their, their parched souls. And so, of course, they couldn't pass this up. 
Who could? They believed. And once they did, they were baptized as an expression of their, of their belief. It's, it's in the middle of the night. It's the middle of the night. It's still the middle of the night, but that didn't stop them. They began to care for Paul. They, I mean, this, just look at the reversal of roles here. They begin to care for Paul. They begin to bandage his wounds. They begin to dress his wounds, him and Silas both. The jailer says, you need to come home with me. I need to prepare some food for you. And as they sat around his table that night, replaying the day's events, who would have imagined that, or who would have imagined earlier that day, if we could have just jumped back 12 hours and said, who 12 hours before this moment, who would have thought or imagined that within half a day that jailer and his entire home would come to faith in Christ? The next day, the magistrates send the police to the jailer with instructions to let Paul and Silas go free. Hey, let those guys go. Uh, it seems we made a mistake. They probably felt the earthquake too, and word of what happened was probably making its way around the city, around the city, and they wanted no part of it. They wanted no part of what was happening around Philippi because leading women were coming to faith in Jesus. A, a girl was freed from demonic possession in the name of Jesus. Uh, a prison guard and his entire family believed in Jesus. Jesus was everywhere, it seemed. And he was changing lives left and right. And so they say, let those men go. Like, let them go. Like, we, we want them to go. And don't you just love Paul here? <laughs> uh, no, it's not going to go down that way. You see, he wouldn't be dismissed like that, not secretly, not sneakily. He knew they had no authority to beat or incarcerate them, especially given uh, their Roman citizenship. And when they heard about this, the magistrates, it just terrified them even more. Uh, I, think, I think Paul wants them to take responsibility for their actions. I think Paul wants to uphold justice, but, but I, think, I think what he really wants most of all is he wants to clear the name of Christ. And so he, he needs to have his name cleared to clear the name of Christ. Because by clearing his name, the people of Philippi would know that everything that was happening in their city came from God. The, the evil spirits in that place could not stop what God was doing. The wicked people who enslaved a young girl could not stop what God was doing. The city officials who unjustly threw Paul and Silas into prison could not stop what Paul or what God was doing. Not even their affiliation to Rome, not even the Roman Empire could stop Jesus from reaching the people of Philippi and saving them to God. God was on the move and no one was going to stop him. 
So the magistrates, they did come to apologize. And they released him from prison. And then they just asked him to leave. Can you guys just please leave? And having cleared the name of Christ, Paul and Silas obliged. After visiting and encouraging Lydia and the others who now gathered in her home, it's the the first church of Philippi. They left for whatever God had next. God sends us to all sorts of places. In their case, it was a riverside women's prayer meeting. And then it was somewhere in the city along the path to the prayer meeting. And then it was... Uh, these magistrates, it was their, their office or, or their, their courts, and then it was to the area prison, to the local prison. God sends us to all sorts of places because Jesus reaches all kinds of people. From a religious, wealthy, influential businesswoman from Thyatira to an enslaved and exploited demon-possessed girl to a correctional officer on the verge of killing himself. Vastly different people from vastly different backgrounds. And each of these met Jesus and was personally transformed. So wherever life takes you this week, from the grocery store to the hospital, from the post office to the fast food drive-through, from the airport to the barber or hair salon, and, and everything in between. Wherever life takes you this week, live sent. Because you are sent by God. You may not be the very first Christian in your family or your school or your work or your neighborhood and so on. You may not be the very first Christian, but maybe this week you're the only Christian whom others will know and meet. Amen.
God, thank you for our time. You've encouraged us in your word. You've helped us to learn from the example of others. Thank you for these uh, amazing accounts of incredible transformation, just the power of the gospel of Jesus. Oh, to behold the life-changing, saving, transforming power of the gospel. Help us to be not ashamed of the gospel. Help us to live as those you are sending out into all sorts of places this week to meet all kinds of people. May we go in the power of the Holy Spirit to share Jesus in word and deed. For we pray in his name. Amen.